Hello and welcome to Creativity Uncovered. My name is Abby Gatling and I'm on a journey to uncover how everyday people find inspiration, get inventive and open their imagination. Basically, I want to find out how people find their own creative solutions for home, work, play and everything in between. And my goal for this podcast is that by the end of it, you'll be armed with a whole suite of tried and tested ways to summon creativity the next time that you need it. Now, today I'm speaking to Emily Chadbourne. Um, Em is a mindset coach based in Melbourne, super down to earth. She's a fellow dog lover and uh, very, very funny. So (laughs) I feel like we're going to have a really great chat today. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I really yeah. appreciate it. No, absolutely. Um, such a pleasure to have you on. Um, and, you know, we've had a bit of a chat already um, and you know that this podcast is about creativity and I know there's there's so much that you have to say about it um, and I'm, I'm really getting keen to dive into it. But before we do, I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too, um, a little bit about your story because... Um, you're a mindset coach and you work with women to help them develop their inner strength. Um, however, in the bio that you shared with me, you confess that you used to be a bit of an idiot and, <laughs> and uh, had to make a serious change in your life. And so, you know, now I'm seeing you here, you've got this amazing business and you work internationally um, and you're a very funny Instagram star. There's kind of a missing connection there for me like tell me who were you back then what happened and um how did you get here I must have given you the um the polite version of my bio because some people get (laughs) the opening line is Emily Chabon used to be a bit of a twat (laughs) that's how I lovingly refer to myself in my uh in my my other life as I like to think of it I think I just never no one ever told me that I was in charge of my life. And I know that sounds to be a little bit of a weird thing to say, but I just I just went along the treadmill of life. I went to school and then my parents told me I should go to university. So I went to university and I did a degree that didn't, I mean, I just did the thing that I was good at, which was drama and education. Um, and then I worked in hospitality and I was just good at managing people and I was relatively efficient. And so I just worked my way up and I spent my twenties living in London, having a great time. Yeah. I was having such a good time and lived my life in London, waiting tables and managing restaurants. And, and I never really had any forward thinking. I was, I just did the thing that somebody else reassured me I was good at. I'd never learned or developed the skill of facing my fear. And I had this inherent belief that it was better not to try than it was to fail. So everything I did was the play safe stuff. It was, you know, being headhunted, so I took the job, but I would never go and interview for a job. If you offered me a job, I would accept it, but I would never go and think to to go and find a different job. And then I came to Australia in my 30s. I followed a boy for love. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah, we can all anticipate how that ended. But I found myself in Australia still. I was in my 30s and I was waiting tables. I mean, hospitality doesn't translate from the UK to Australia. They're very different landscapes. 
And so I came to Australia and none of my experience as senior as I had sort of climbed up the senior ladder of corporate hospitality, it just didn't exist here. And so I found myself sort of back at the foot of the ladder again, waiting tables for 20 bucks an hour. And I hated everything about my life. The only thing that was really working for me was my social life. I was quite a party girl. And that's where I got all my significance from. That's where I could tell my stories. That's where I could connect with people. But the idea of translating that into a career or harnessing that to be a useful thing was just way beyond my comprehension. So I was just waiting tables. And I got to about 33, 34 horrendously in debt by this time because being a party girl is actually quite expensive I don't know if anyone ever told you that so and you're both earning minimum wage and really terrible tips so it wasn't until I kind of hit a very hard brick wall that was very uncomfortable and quite painful in my mid-30s that I decided I had to do something I I couldn't keep going the way that I was going you know the rest of my friends had started to get married and buy houses and you know they were doing things with their careers and I was waiting tables and I felt so completely lost and alone and like everyone else had been given a roadmap and I'd been left out and so I did the only thing that I knew to do which was to go and close the gap that I could see that I had which was I didn't know who I was And that was a lot of personal development, a lot of spiritual development. I got sober in that time. And there was a lot of soul searching and so much ugly crying. (laughs) You could not possibly believe. (laughs) And, um, And I think doing that work reintroduced me to some qualities that I had not seen as special or disregarded as valuable. And I think a lot of us do this, women especially, is that we fail to recognize that who we are and how we relate to the world around us is special. Um, I've always been able to tell a great story. I came out of the womb with jazz hands and my parents threw me onto the stage at the age of five to try and, you know, focus some of that energy And so I've always been a performer. I've never had stage fright. I never have, I mean, every now and then I'll do a keynote in front of a really big room of important people and I'll have that moment of like, oh my God, but I can really talk myself through that quite quickly. So I've had this wonderful, amazing creative skill set my whole life, but no one ever put value on it. So I didn't put value on it. And no one ever helped me navigate how I could take that skill set and create something wonderful with it and create something that would contribute to the world around me with it so it just kind of languished away you know I just I would tell a great story at three o'clock in the morning at the after party and that's that was the only way that creativity got to be expressed and that was actually a very unresourceful way of expressing that creativity and so it wasn't until I did the work on myself that I began to understand that I had something that could could do something really awesome for the people around me. Yeah, wow. And so the work that you did on yourself, is that basically mindset coaching and now you're doing it for other people? Yeah, it completely changed my life, like a full 180. Radical responsibility for myself was the first step. Um, I think I'd spent many years 
blaming other people and being a victim of my circumstances and feeling very trapped by my circumstances. No one had ever told me that perception is reality, that if you change your perception of a situation, your experience of your reality can change. That was a completely foreign concept to me until I was 35 years old. Wow. Like it was just, I, I was just bumbling along and the universe was, you know, in my opinion, the universe was just taking me down this dead end path and that wasn't my fault. Um, and it really, it was, it was that, that level of radical responsibility. I learned how to manage my thoughts. I learned how to question my thoughts. I learned how to observe the stories that I was telling myself and question whether or not I wanted that story to be true. Where had that story come from? Did I have to believe that story? What did I manifest when I believed that story? What could I manifest if I believed a different story? And all of a sudden you begin to realize that you are the architect of your reality. And there is such power in that. And paradoxically, at the same time, the spiritual concepts that I learned through my sobriety program, which is that you don't control anything (laughs) and that you are this tiny little insignificant spot on the universe. And, you know, your desire to control everything is only causing you suffering and your attachment to how you think things should be is where your suffering lies. Your resistance to what is, is often suffering inducing. So, you know, I kind of coupled those two things together, this idea that you are a powerful creator and at the same time you have got no idea what's going on because, you know, the universe will do what the universe does. You don't get to control death or disease or other people or even the weather. And so how do you find a balance with those two things? How do you work those two things so that they can coexist and create a life that feels really fulfilling for you? Yeah. Wow. I love that. Do you say the architect of your own, (laughs) of your own life? That is, um, that's true because when I think of an architect, it's, um, you know, it's very purposeful. It's very methodical, lots of checks and measures and balances and everything's got to sort of make sense in the overall picture. Um, I feel like that's not an approach a lot of people take to their lives. We just sort of float along and, you know, you bump into walls and eventually you just sort of get <laughs> along the right path. Well, that's very much yeah, taking taking control of your life. I think that's that's really cool. And so, so when do people come to you as a mindset coach, but versus say like um like a life coach or a career coach? Like when is what's the typically the catalyst for people to come and knock on your door? So typically, women come to me, and it is women um, that come to me, and they are normally anywhere between sort of. 30 and 50, but we've got, you know, clients who are 27 and I have got, I think my eldest client is 73. So we span a range, but typically the experience that they are having is one of everything is fine and it's not good enough. And I don't know why it's not good enough. Mm. And I, I know that there is more, but I can't work out what that more is. I have often manifested lots of stuff, which society told me should make me happy but it doesn't, you know, I've got the house and I've got the husband, I've got the kids, I've got the car, but there is still something missing. And in my experience and my observation working with women over the last seven years or so, what I have observed is that normally the thing that they are missing is connection to self. And I know that sounds trite, 
But when we don't connect well to ourselves, when we are on show for other people, as opposed to sort of living authentically to our values, we tend to block our, I'm going to use the word creativity, it's early on, but I'm, I'm, I'm dropping the word already. <laughs> we tend to block that creativity. We, we tell ourselves that we can only do certain things if it is a productive thing to do, or if it is a if it monetizes you know I, I hear so many people say I'm looking for my purpose I'm looking for my purpose I'm looking for my purpose and my advice every time is well stop looking for your purpose and just ask yourself what would a purposeful life look like for me and that's a lot of the work that we do inside my membership is called the Amplify community and it's a lot of the work that we do inside Amplify is, is like pulling back the layers of conditioning the people that told us that we couldn't the you know, cultural conditioning that's told us that we should be a particular way in order to be loved or respected or valued. And we start addressing some of those narratives and asking ourselves, does that really work for me? And if I, you know, if I wasn't worried about rejection, what would I do? What would I produce? How would I create? How would I enjoy my life a little bit differently? And it's amazing how that one shift, that that permission to explore parts of yourself that maybe your parents told you were too loud or maybe your teacher at school told you wasn't good enough you know the amount of times that I myself even let alone the amount of clients that I've seen do this you know I've told myself I can't do something or I shouldn't do something or I don't do something as well as somebody else so there's no point in me doing it and I've denied myself all sorts of pleasure and in denying myself pleasure, I've also denied my community a part of me, you know, or my friends a particular part of me. And so it's about developing the muscle of learning how to manage your mind. We talk about managing your mind a lot inside of the Amplify community. How can I manage the stories? How can I decondition myself? How do I bring conscious awareness to the parameters that have either been put around me or have been Put there by myself and how do I push those you know how do I meet my corners and then push a little bit further so that I can do something a bit different so that I can grow into the next version of me and I for me that is one of the most it's the most delightful I mean if you'd asked me seven years ago would I be doing this work I would have just laughed in your face because you know I was busy scraping you know the remains of sub table 23's dinner into the bin but to be doing this work and to be supporting women in this way is just it's it really is a gift. I feel I consider myself to be very privileged. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> what a what a shift. What a shift. And and it sounds like you're being creative in the delivery of your coaching, but you are also helping other people unlock their own creativity. Mm. Because from what I understand from what you just said, like a lot of a lot of it what's holding us back from putting ourselves out there is external conditioning and then also our mindset and, yeah. and and we're afraid to be vulnerable because I guess creativity is uh, creativity is a very personal thing um it's kind of like putting your little heart out on there <laughs> that's, that's scary and it's always so subjective right like yeah. I still even now like I hugely my my overarching brand and my company name is unashamedly human because I don't in any way, shape or form pretend to have all my shit together. In fact, most of my shit isn't even in the same postcode. It is like, <laughs> I, 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 I've not worked out how to human well necessarily, but 
I'm, you know, I'm always a work in progress and, and I'm always in this sort of space of growth and evolution and that in itself has got to be messy. It can't be neat and it can't be organized. It must be in a space of flux. And so, you know, I'm one of the ways that I utilize my creativity is to tell stories of how completely and totally and utterly, you know, the red hot mess that I am. And every time I go and post something on Instagram, Every time, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how long I've been on that platform, every time I post a reel, I know that there is going to be someone out there who watches my creativity and doesn't get it, or they're going to judge me, or they're going to, their own jealousy, their own insecurity is going to come up and they're going to make a judgment about me as a result of it. I know that my heart goes on the line every time I hit post yeah. and I have to work through it every single time <laughs> even now I still have to like talk myself through it and you know guide myself through the practice of doing the the scary thing and I think you know that is a skill and it's a muscle that we have to develop and that we have to continually exercise creativity yeah. is vulnerable and it's very subjective and there will be people that don't get it and you have to condition yourself to believe in yourself enough that it's okay that somebody else doesn't get your stuff. It's yeah. like, it really is. It's okay that you're not for everybody. Like if you are okay for you, then that's enough. And yeah. that's a lifelong practice for me. That's not <clears throat> something that I learned and now I teach. That is something that I'm in the constant practice of. Yeah, yeah. So, so is when typically people come to you for the coaching, is it is it a lifelong thing, or is it kind of like you've done this and now you've ticked this box and now you're you're cured, off you go? Yeah, I mean that's actually how Amplify came about because I was doing um, group coaching courses and I had private clients and I still work privately with clients. Um, but what I was finding was lots of people were like doing a, a group coaching program. And they were learning this really cool stuff and that was really awesome and they were applying it and they were seeing results. But then they were like, okay, well, well, what's next? And it's not that they were asking what's the next piece. It's where, how can I still hang out with you and be part of this conversation? Because it becomes really apparent quite quickly when you start doing this work that you are up against your conditioning for life right? Mm -hmm. Those belief systems that started when you were two, three, four, five years old, that you weren't good enough or that you weren't enough or you're not mm -hmm. a creative person or no one cares that you can sing or you shouldn't be, you know, that big and brash and bold because you're a woman or whatever it is, that conditioning, whilst we work we work to recondition ourselves that conditioning will always be with you. So you don't get to, it's a bit like going to the gym, right? You go to the gym, you work your biceps, you get your biceps, you're proud of your biceps, awesome. And you stop going to the gym and two, three, four months later, you no longer have biceps. And you're like, oh man, but I did the thing and I went to the gym and I got the biceps. And we've got to keep going to the gym. And so this is what it is to be in the reconditioning process of yourself. And what I found was that clients kept coming back and then doing the course again and again. And, and they didn't want the course again. They wanted to continue to be in the conversation. Yeah, so yeah. We created Amplified to solve that problem. So it's it's four months and you can leave after four months and, and we teach you those sort of four, what I would consider to be really fundamental blocks around mindset and manifestation relationships and money because I believe that um, a well-resourced woman is an empowered woman. 
um, and we sort of go through those those four modules, if you like. And then it's a then after that, it's like a really low cost membership. And we've got women who have been there since the very, very beginning. And they just continue to pay a low cost monthly membership, have access to all the material, have access to all the live content, have access to the community because it's the conversation that they know that they need to be in. So it's a bit like a a, a gym for your brain, if you like. You know, yeah. they, and and you and we still come across it, right? One of the things that I'm kind of the work that I'm doing with myself right now is about aging. You know, I've just hit 42 and I've had Botox in the past and I'm beginning to really question the paradigm that is so strong in our cultural conditioning about my worth as a woman as I grow older and as I leave my childbearing years behind and as my face gets wrinklier and, you know, my boobs get saggier and all those things that society tells me I should try and rail against because my value is in youth as a woman. Mm. And so that as much as I can convince myself of that on a day-to-day basis society is telling me something completely different yeah and so the conversation can't ever stop (laughs) the conversation needs to be consistent the repetition is what keeps us in the healthy mindset it's not a one-hit wonder and then done yeah yeah wow I can definitely see the value in having those continual conversations and a community where yeah where you can all talk to each other about that and keep each other accountable and um yes that's like a big gold cheer squad I love it (laughs) oh my god absolutely it really is it's like the best girl gang in the world yeah it's it's (laughs) I'm very I mean it's got has nothing to do with me the community that was the piece that surprised me the most um you know I facilitate the space but the women who have made that community what it is they're just yeah I'm I'm in awe of them because it's such brave work yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I can imagine all these benefits for being able to talk about creativity and mindset and all those things. But what what are the downsides for not talking about it and not focusing on your mindset? I think you just end up being a victim of your own circumstance. And I think you deny this really sort of vibrant and authentic part of you this has been my experience anyway, is that we, a lot of us are in survival mode, right? We are using and playing out the strategies that we learned at the age of four or five or six, when we were learning, how do we feel safe? Mm -hmm. And what do we need to do to get attention and love? And without taking charge of those thought patterns, taking charge of those belief systems, taking charge of those paradigms, bringing conscious awareness to that kind of stuff, we will end up, I mean, I was doing this and I still do it every now and then. Sometimes I'll catch myself having an adult temper tantrum and I was like, whoa, four-year-old Emily is in charge of this situation. 42-year-old Emily is absolutely not. This is a four-year-old right now having a temper tantrum because she doesn't feel seen or she doesn't feel important or she doesn't feel loved or she feels in some way, shape or form unsafe. And it's my job because I have the tools because I have done the mindset work to parent that version of me. And I think without the tools and without the conscious awareness, we allow our four-year-old self to control our finances, to control our relationships, to you know, not set the boundaries that we should probably set, to you know, dictate where our career path goes. 
And we deny ourselves so much in that process because the four-year-old version of you, you know, really should not be in charge of your adult life. Um, and yeah, I think we just deny ourselves a lot of joy along the way because we are we are in survival mode. So we're doing the things that feel comfortable and the things that feel familiar and not necessarily the things that are conducive to living a whole and fulfilling life. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And because, and you know, these tools aren't like, they're not particularly complicated. You know, when you look at spirituality throughout the ages, right? I'm not a religious person, but I I would say that I was a deeply spiritual person. I have a very specific God of my understanding. Um, it's very, um, I actually don't really necessarily believe in an inferential God. I don't really look for signs from the universe or anything like that. Although a lot of the people inside the Amplify community do, and I don't, you know, you believe what you believe. That's, you know, I have zero judgment from me. But when you look at all of the works throughout the ages, so all of the religious texts, all of the folklore, you know, there are some very basic spiritual principles which we can apply over and over and over again in all sorts of different contexts. It's nothing new. It's nothing particularly groundbreaking, but it's life-changing stuff when you begin to implement it in your day-to-day -day life. The process of being able to observe a thought that you have and saying to yourself, is that thought that I just had the truth? Is it the absolute ultimate truth? And when I believe it to be the truth, how do I act and what do I manifest? And if I chose to believe a different truth, how would I behave differently? And therefore, what could I manifest differently? That's yeah. so simple. <laughs> like that's not rocket science stuff. Very simple. You don't even need a journal to do it, although I would always suggest a journal, but you know, you can just do it in your mind. But yeah. it will change your life. Well, that person looked at me a bit funny. Uh, and now what's the thought that I am having about that? Why well, making it mean that I must be wrong, that I, there is something wrong with me, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not lovable. Now, is that thought really true? Well, that person could just be having a fart, right? Try not to shit themselves on the street, right? That <laughs> person could be, you know, on the phone to his doctor who's just been like, yeah, got gonorrhea, mate. Sorry, that's not good news. Right, we've got, we don't know what's going on for somebody else. But we make everything about us. Yeah. And that's understandable because we can't comprehend what it is like to be anyone but us. Yeah. But, you know, those thoughts will keep us away from creativity. Those thoughts of like, oh, God, that person's judging me. Yeah. You know, that person doesn't like me or that person doesn't think I'm good enough. And yeah. maybe that thought is true. Maybe that person doesn't think you're good enough. But then, you know, do you have the tools to be able to go, what do I want to do with the fact that that person doesn't think I'm, do I think I'm good enough? You know, do you have the skills to see your own worth and to develop your own self-esteem and to build unshakable confidence in yourself? And I did not have those tools. I had phenomenal parents. I had a very lovely, very kind, almost idyllic childhood growing up. But they don't teach you that at school. And if your parents aren't equipped with those specific skills, if my parents didn't know how to teach me emotional resilience, they loved me. They didn't teach me emotional resilience. They didn't teach me any mindset stuff. Mm -hmm. And school certainly didn't. Mm -hmm. So 35 before I was like, oh God, I'm gonna have to go and learn that myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I while you're saying that, I was just thinking about kind of all the times where 
I have put myself out there creatively, you know, whether it be an artwork or, you know, edited a video or written a blog or just I kind of even just doing the song at the Christmas party, you know, (laughs) There, there is this massive thing that is kind of like almost my hurdle, the last hurdle before actually going out there and doing that. And that thought is, what if I'm not as good as I think that I am and this is actually just, you know, a pile of crap. (laughs) And so, yes, you're thinking and trying to predict what the other person's going to say and it's not, or think about you and that's holding you back. It hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, absolutely. So fear is always something that hasn't happened yet, right? It's always a figment of our imagination. It's always a what if. Unless it has happened or it is happening now, it's always a figment of our imagination. So this anticipation that we might produce something or we might do something, or we might sing something or we might be someone that somebody else does not like and doesn't approve of. And then that kicks into all of our childhood wounds, right? All of our innate sort of, I guess, hardwired fear of rejection, which is really what everything boils down to, right? The feeling of not being good enough or not being loved or not belonging. What we're really scared of is rejection because on a very basic fundamental level, we are creatures of tribe and community. And, you know, back, back, back in the day, we we can only exist in tribe. We can't survive this world alone. We are community creatures by nature. And, you know, you couldn't hunt by yourself. You can keep the fire going by yourself, can procreate by yourself, can defend by ourselves. We are creatures of tribe. And so to be rejected from your pack is equates to death. So we are wired to look out for, do I belong? Am I being accepted? And it makes us feel safe to feel accepted. And sometimes when we step into creativity, we are risking that acceptance because we're doing something that somebody else subjectively may or may not like. And so fear kicks in before we even know it, right? Then we procrastinate or we self-sabotage or we find an excuse. And these excuses we really believe, like I really actually can't sing tonight because I coughed three days ago, right? We really convince ourselves of the excuses that we use. And our job again is to self-parent and say, hey, you know what? There is no danger here for me. Mm. If there is no actual danger, then it is my job to parent myself to prove to myself that I can sing this song and that I can dance this jig or whatever it might be. I don't know if I've ever used the terminology dance this jig before. There you go. Um, And to focus on the people that love it because there will always be people that don't. There will always be people that don't like your stuff, that don't like who you are, that have their own shit going on that they haven't processed, that they haven't dealt with, their own wounds that you, you know, bump up against. And, you know, I say this to my clients all the time, as long as we are existing inside of our own integrity and to our own values and to our own standards, then other people's reaction to you and your staff really is irrelevant. Mm. If you're not working inside your integrity and you're not working inside your values and you're not working inside your standards, that's different. But if you are then how other people react to you is how other people are going to react to you. And that's their stuff. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think happens a lot for people, and like this is definitely something that I, this is a, my life lesson, I think my constant work in progress is comparison. 
there is yeah. there's always someone that's better at, better at doing the things that I want to do than me you know there's better writers out there there's better storytellers out there there's better podcasters out there there's better public figures out there. there's definitely better coaches out there than me and it's taken me such a long time and continues to take me a lot of work to remind myself that you know, for every person that is better, there is also someone who was looking at me and being like, God, I wish I could do it the way that Emily Chabon does it. <laughs> so inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And so my job is to go out there and be the demonstration to the people who want to be inspired by me. My job is not to go out there and try and catch up to the people who are ahead of me or who are doing it better than me. I yeah. can be inspired by them and that is my choice. But to sit in their shadow and just feel shit about myself. And again, this is why learning the tools to be able to create a sense of self-worth and to be able to examine the things that have happened in your past that have led to you not believing in yourself or who that have led to you not feeling your worth or not feeling like you're enough. It's important that we go and we clear that stuff up yeah. because otherwise it, as much as we, we can pretend like it's not there, but it really is. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a whole schmozzle of stuff that goes on <laughs> in creativity. There's lots of stuff that we come up against. And, and honestly, if you're going to go out there and you're going to use your creativity in whatever way that looks like for you, you know, for years I told myself I wasn't creative because I couldn't paint. And I just thought, you know, if you're creative, you can paint and you can like make things. Um, and I, I certainly can't do any of those. And it, it really has only been in the last, six or seven years that I've realized that my creativity comes through words and my creativity comes through writing and and that that is a creative endeavor so whatever your creativity is right like you are going to come up against your shit yeah (laughs) your fears are going to show up your worries are going to show up your self-doubt is going to show up your stuff is going to come and it's going to look you in the eye and you know, that's, that is part of the creative process. And I think it's why some people shy away from it because they don't want to have to look at their, their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree that, um, you know, I think creativity is way broader than what people think it is. It's not just about painting and singing and all that sort of stuff. I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's a way of thinking. I think it's using your imagination and I do think it's about putting yourself out there and just being a little bit vulnerable. And it could be, like, I think anyone can be creative in any role they are, they're in. You don't have to be um, in the creative arts. It could be, you know, coming up with an inventive solution to a problem that, or a, a new way of delivering a service or um, even just a new way of, you know, maintaining your house or coming up with a new solution for <laughs> something like that. I think there's, we shouldn't be boxing ourselves into this really narrow view of creativity. And once you realize there's a mindset and an approach to thinking, um, the world's your oyster. Yeah, it really is. There's an analogy I use all the time. I actually talk about it quite a lot in terms of masculine and feminine energy, but I think it also really translates into creativity. Because I think sometimes people think, there's like a personification to creativity isn't there it's like you know the the artist and the you know the flamboyant and the and actually creativity in its wholeness is two kind of slightly separate components so if you imagine that you've got a piano in front of you and you were to sit down at that piano and you didn't have any music at all you just had the piano and it's structured and it's ordered and it's in its octaves and you start at one end and it goes do 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 all the way up to the other end and it's really boring <laughs> like 
who's going to just sit there and play scales all day and be like, yeah, look at me rocking out. This is fun. Like the piano by itself is just order and structure and it's boring. But then you've got the sheet music, right? And if you look at sheet music, it just looks like fully chaotic. And it's like up here and down here. And, blah, 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 just, and it makes <laughs> no real sense by itself. It can't do anything by itself, right? By itself, it's just chaotic blobs of black ink on a paper. But when you merge the two things together, right, when you take the structure and the order of the piano and you use the sheet music and translate it through the order of the piano, that's when you get something that's awesome. That's when you get something that makes people stop in the street and listen to what you're playing, right? It's that that delicate blend of structure and chaos or order and chaos or masculine and feminine. And I think we need both. And in order to be... I don't like to use the word successful and creative in the same breath because you don't have to monetize your creativity. Like that's mm. not the point of creativity. You can just write stories that no one ever reads if that's your jam. You can play music for free, you know, on the street every weekend if that's what makes you happy. But, you know, I think in order for us to be, I guess, like uh, really out there and vibrant with our creativity, we also need to understand the structure of mindset behind it. You know, because otherwise it just it just becomes this like, I don't know, like vibrating little munchkin that's like running around your head and it doesn't have the order or the structure in order to be heard and appreciated by other people. So I do think there is that sort of sense of balance that we need to create in order to have our creativity expressed in a way that feels really resourceful to us. And that's going to be different for everybody, of course, and everyone's got different layers, you know, of people just do life very differently um but yeah that's always how I think about my creativity I'm like I've got these these ideas and it's quite chaotic sometimes and I'm like okay I need some order and I need some structure in order for that creativity to come to life yeah and do you have any sort of quick strategies for people our listeners who could if they want to delve into creativity and they have no idea where to start what what's their first step I think the first step, I mean, this sounds really trite, is like, what did you love doing as a kid? And I know that sounds really trite and look really very eye rolly. I'm eye rolling myself, but like quite often <laughs> we did things as kids that we really, really loved. Like I just loved acting. I was always telling a story. My teachers told me all the time that I was talking too much and that I was interrupting other people's work and I was this nuisance, right? And you can hear already the stories that I heard from a really young age that, you know, just were constantly telling me that who I was naturally was not good enough and that it was wrong and that I should be quiet and I shouldn't tell these stories, right? Now I make a living from telling stories, for God's sake. But it's taken quite a lot of time for me to get here because of the conditioning around me that told me that telling stories was a bad thing. Mm. <laughs> so maybe start thinking about what were the things that you did as a kid before you learned that you shouldn't or before you began to interpret what an adult was saying as I'm not good enough or I'm not doing it well enough or there's no point because that person's always getting gold and I'm only ever getting bronze. So start sort of maybe connecting back to that. And then the second step really is what are all the, like start bringing conscious awareness to the stories that you tell yourself around creativity because you will be having inspirational ideas but how quickly are you shutting them down before you can hear them? So start bringing conscious awareness to how you shut yourself down don't be ridiculous. I can't do that. And it might be like you walk past a busker in a street and you'd be like, God, I'd love to sing like that. And then you tell yourself, well, I can't sing like that. So there's no point. 
But it's not about whether or not you can sing like that busker. But if there's a part of you that wants to sing, go join a choir. You know, yeah. get your hairbrush out and dance around. The day, <laughs> see how it feels. You know, yeah. you're like just start hearing yourself. Start observing yourself. And this is one of the reasons that I meditate. This is part of the structure, the piano part, if you like, to my creativity. Because without meditation, and I do it for 20 minutes every morning, even on the days that I don't want to, even on the days that it feels really uncomfortable, even on the days when I don't really think it's working, it's part of the structure for my creativity. Because what meditation does is it gives me the space to observe my thoughts instead of just be them. Yes. It is the practice of, of hearing a thought and being like, oh, look, there's a thought that I am having over there as opposed to this thought is who I am. And there's a distinction yeah. between those two things. And so learning how to observe my thoughts instead of necessarily being my thoughts has given me permission to, when I have a thought like, God, that looks fun. God, pole dancing looks like it would be a load of fun. And then my judgment <laughs> comes up, can't do pole dancing. That's just for strippers. God, no. And, so, and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting thought that I just had. Yes. I want to believe that thought. What am I denying myself if I believe that thought? Is that thought even true? Where did that thought come from? You know? So like developing the muscle of inquiry and curiosity with yourself, it will open up all sorts of inspiration that maybe you've just been shutting down that you weren't even aware that you were having. Absolutely. Sounds like it's it's a lot of practice and bit by bit and incrementally helping yourself through these uh well firstly awareness being aware and and working through those questions and and questioning your thoughts that are coming out yeah that's uh you you're not gonna get there overnight yeah Yeah, and it is it's it's there's no magic pill for it and I think maybe I'm too honest (laughs) about this in my marketing which is just like this is lifelong journey it's a lifelong journey of reclaiming yourself and and that is it's daily work. It's not a, oh, I'm just going to do this, you know, four week course. And then I've learned everything I need to know about myself and managing my mind because it's, <laughs> you know, it is, yeah, it's like, it is the, the best analogy is it's like going to the gym where it's like eating food. You don't just eat once. And then you're like, I have eaten all of the nutrients I will ever need for this lifetime. You, know? <laughs> you don't just take one shower. You don't just have one shit. Yeah. Like, it, it's a constant in and out. It's an in and out. It's an in and out. And so, you know, really managing your mind so that you can access your creativity um, is the same process. It's 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 a forever conversation. But the more you do it, the less, um, I don't know, I guess the more delightful and kind of the more funny it gets. Sometimes I hear myself say things in my own head and I'm like, why? <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> Are you joking? Did you that? <laughs> Where did that come from? Come on, we're gonna do the scary thing anyway, right? We're gonna I call them tight butt moments. Those moments when you are, you know, stepping into your vulnerability or you're sharing something and you don't know how it's gonna be received, or you're moving with a confidence you don't know if you even have yet because you're doing something that's outside of your comfort zone. And in coaching, we call it optimal anxiety, but I just I'm a huge believer that how we language our world is how we'll experience it. So I don't use the word anxiety it's just not really in my day-to-day vocab but it's that feeling of like I'm gonna shit myself right like oh my god I'm doing this thing I'm you know I'm hitting send on that email or I'm asking the question I'm asserting the boundary I'm asking for my needs to be met I'm sharing my painting I'm singing my song and I feel like I'm gonna shit myself I call it a tight butt moment so you know you clench your <laughs> to make sure that you don't shit yourself and and life is about taking tight butt moment after tight butt moment after tight butt moment and and holding 
the narrative with yourself that you are going to be okay in the face of those type of moments. And creativity is a type of moment. Of course it is, because there's always going to be someone out there that's like, nah, don't like that painting. Wouldn't buy that. I think you're seeing shit. There's always going to be someone. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. That was, um, there were so many things to think about then. I, I feel like I firstly have to go away and sit with my, um, sit my, with myself and be a bit more aware about it. But um, I, and I'm, and I'm the homework for everyone who's listening here is to, if you think that you don't have creativity in your life yet, um, yeah, think about what you love doing as a kid. I thought that that's fantastic advice. And then you can work on your mindset to actually do it. Mm. Um, but Anne, thanks so much for joining me today. That was um, super insightful and really, really interesting. Um, and I want to say thanks to everyone uh, who has tuned into Creativity Uncovered today. Uh, I really hope that this episode has um, made you laugh, has sort of made you think about tight butts. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want a tight butt, you know? I know, I know. Tight butt. We're always going back to the gym, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but most importantly, I I really hope that it's given you some tools to um, help you summon your creativity the next time you need it and help to uh, bust through any blocks that you come up against um, during that journey. So, yeah, thank, thank you so much and take care until next time. Thank you so much for having me on. If you've made it this far, a huge thank you for your support and tuning into today's episode. Creativity Uncovered has been lovingly recorded on the land of the Cubby Cubby people, and we pay our respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This podcast has been produced by my amazing team here at Crisp Communications, and the music you just heard was composed by James Gatling. If you liked this episode, please do share it around and help us on our mission to unlock more creativity in this world. You can also hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episode releases.